again and welcome to another episode of College Football Down Under. My name is Aaron Kemp and as always, I am joined by Will Murden. How's it going tonight, Will? Really good, man. Really good. How are you? I am... I'm good. I mean, school holidays is grinding to an end. I say grinding, it is coming way too quickly to an end, which is extremely disappointing. And I head back to the factory tomorrow. So now I've just got to settle myself in for a delightful 11 weeks before I get to put my feet up for another fortnight. Yeah, I look, I'm getting to experience some of that teacher life at the moment. I've started my paternity leave this week and it's something else. Like I'm really kind of enjoying sleeping in a little bit. I mean, mm. I say sleeping in, it's, it's really tough with the newborn in the household. But, you know, waking up at seven is an absolute delight. Uh, get trying to get a few things done around the place. It's, you'd be helping out with the cooking and the cleaning and stuff, I imagine. Absolutely. Sunday mornings, I've now got that much delivered overnight in terms of like HelloFresh, my Muscle Chef, you foods. Like they all just stack up on top of each other. I really hope that the delivery drivers are starting to form a friendship. But it's a little bit embarrassing that first thing Sunday morning, I kind of have to quickly open the door and get in all this food. But hey, it's me doing what I can for this family by getting meals that are convenient and easy to produce so that uh, we can work our way through this. So if you're in the Adelaide area and you want to feed, yeah, 14, uh, number 14, uh, yeah, you could get yourself a free, free bit of tucker. Uh, I don't know what HelloFresh and all that is like. I, I don't know. I'm not, in, I'm not in on it, but people swear by it. So anyway, this is not a critique of that particular advertisement uh, or that particular service. We are going to be having a look at 2020. It is in the rearview mirror, so we are going to reflect back on all that was for one of the weirdest, strangest, and most frantic uh, college football seasons in history that ended much the same way as most other college football seasons end with Alabama as national champions. Uh, but we've got a whole bunch of stuff to get to, uh, some news. We'll talk about our broad kind of takeaways. Will's got a quiz for me, which I always get a little bit nervous about because I haven't seen any of it and I, I never know if he's just going to bring out, you know, who coached Michigan's offensive line in 1948? And I'll be like, I do not know. What, you don't know that? Uh Come on, uh, but Nick Saban, I don't know. Like <laughs> he's he's been around a while. Schneider, is he still coaching back then? Uh all right. Let us get into a quick bit of news. Jeremy Pruitt out at Tennessee. I know you've been all over the Tennessee situation, Will. What's going on there and why this move now? Yeah, so there's been a bit of an investigation into some of the reports that have come out about uh, misconduct within the program under Jeremy Pruitt. And upon the university's internal investigation, they found that they weren't happy with some of the conduct that was being undertaken and have since released him uh, and, and a number of his assistants as well. So that's a vacancy that's opened up at a bit of an awkward spot now too because a lot of the big names in the market have obviously... Uh, been occupied or, or moved around already so it leaves them in a bit of a spot that they need to go headhunting to find someone to fill that role Harbour the gym variety has been re-signed at Michigan now this I thought this guy was done and dusted I thought he was on the hot seat he's cooked 
there's no way that they're going to re-sign him, particularly after a year where he only won two games. Now, admittedly, they only played six, but they lost again to Michigan State. They didn't have to play Ohio State, thanks COVID, but they probably would have lost that one as well. You know, I would have thought there'd be that much noise from Board of Trustees and, and the heavy hitters, the boosters in the program to remove him, but he manages to stick around. Your thoughts on Michigan and their continual attempts to climb atop the Big Ten mountain. It is generally not a good sign when the other fan bases within your conference Mm. are cheering the extension Mm. of your head coach. Like, as a fan, you must be a little bit dejected by that. But I actually like this move. I I think there's often, at times in the college football landscape, a lot of turnover, probably unnecessarily. I think there is a real call for stability and what that can bring. And he was a big name when he came in. Yes, he hasn't delivered so far, but... I think there are times when you need to back a guy in to be able to execute his plan. And so far, it hasn't worked out for him. But if he's able to come to the table with uh, a continued adaption, somewhat like maybe my on-the-punt play, and and to to say, look, I can acknowledge that things aren't quite working out. We're, We're going with best intent, but it's not happening for us. But here's our plan to get out. Then I think that there is uh, certainly... A time there where these sorts of coaches can can stick around and if as long as they can keep recruiting in that top 10 level, I think Michigan can find their way back there. Obviously, this year was super disappointing, but I don't hate this move. Now, Jim Harbour has been there for six years. In his first four seasons, he had 10 wins three times. Um, he's had them ranked in the top 24 of those six years. His best placed finish to conclude a season was at number 10. I, I don't know if he's the guy to take him over the top. I, I don't really have too many feelings on this either way. It is an interesting move, though, because we've seen so many teams, Tennessee, probably a classic example who we just spoke about, are so willing to move people. And I think there's, you know, whilst there's that investigation in Tennessee, I also believe they kind of wanted Pruitt gone, and it gives them a reason to do that. And we see how quickly t- uh, clubs, both professionally and at the college level, can move on from coaches. And we kind of suspected that they might err on the side of stability this year under COVID and, and it really hasn't shifted the perception of coaches and their win now mentality except in this case so Michigan have done that uh, I I don't know what this means for Michigan I, I think they think they're probably deserving of, of something better over the last few years but I, th- I feel like any team can say that that has had a little bit of success historically Tennessee again another good example of that They've just been irrelevant for the last 10 to 15 years. And since the rise of the SEC, and particularly Alabama, you know, there just hasn't been many opportunities for the likes of Michigan, Miami, Tennessee, whoever, Florida, whoever else, um, to get any kind of footing really high up in college football. Okay, I've got an interesting one, a hypothetical for you that I'll throw mm-hmm. to you on the back of this. Mm-hmm. Of these four teams, which one do you think is best positioned to make it back into the top five of any of the ranking services first? So who, who do, do you think is going to turn things around? Do you mean administratively coaching or just holistically? As I a, just think as holistically a as a program, who do you think is most likely to get back in as a top five team in the country at some point? Yeah. Michigan, Texas, USC, Florida State. 
Uh, well, there's two obvious ones. I think Florida State is in a world of trouble at the moment. I, I think it has to be Texas or USC. I, Texas have just got the resources. They've got the money. They've got the recruiting area. So I think that has to be you know, a big aspect of it. USC, similar boat in California, big recruiting base. Um, and they, they have had some more success recently. Um, but it, to me, it has to be Texas. If anyone can fire shots and spend, and spending is what it takes at the top end, then Texas have to be the team. So, so I'll be going in on Texas and so in you're on Sark Texas, as well. USC, Michigan, Florida State in that order of likelihood. Uh, I think I I honestly don't think under the current circumstances that Michigan or Florida State are making the the top five under these coaches and these staffs. I, I don't see it at the moment. Okay, so there's I like a, there's a ceiling on them. So yeah, that would be cool. my take. All right. Uh, I have got... I'll get up to another bit of a hypothetical for you, maybe. Uh, later on, the last little bit of news is there's been a whole bunch of draft declarations. I'm not going to go over them. If you want to read about your squad or if there's any surprises that you think of, Will, but most people that we expected to declare have declared. Um, are there any great shocks here? Uh, I did see that Chris Olave at Ohio State has decided to come back. I was genuinely surprised by that one. I thought he was going to be making the leap. Um, outside of that, no. Uh, like as an Oklahoma State fan, there's quite a number of boys who I was maybe hoping would ride around again because they're kind of fringe NFL talents. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and with this added year of eligibility for all players at the college level, I think that there's going to be some programs who might benefit from this. And I know I mentioned this at the start of the year. You've kind of knocked it back a bit. What I have seen in this space are Cincinnati. Uh, there seems to be a lot of dudes at Cincinnati who are keen to come around again and, and do it all again. So they're uh, one to watch out for. Yeah, we'll see. When push comes to shove and there's some money to be made, um, I think things will come out in the wash a little bit. I Also, there's still some noise around the initial counters rule, which normally you're only allowed 25 in a season, and there's some discussion around that they're going to increase that and give even post-signing day um schools some room to move with some extra scholarships available uh we don't know the time frame on that one at this stage but that means transfer portal will get really really busy i would suggest yeah it's gonna be fun to watch all right let's get into uh, a recap of season 2020 so uh i mean just on a on its broadest sense, with COVID taking over, the fact that we didn't think we would get a season whatsoever, or there was, you know, the season was certainly in doubt. How do you feel now, kind of months down the line, about this particular season? Does it give you great, have you been buoyed and it gives you great hope about the future of college football? Do you feel melancholy about it? Are you frustrated by it? What was your sort of broad takeaway from season 2020, Will? Well, I, th- I think right off the get-go, you've got to be pleased that we got a season in and, and that we were able to do that because when you look at how the coronavirus is still just ravaging the United States at the moment, it's amazing that we're able to achieve what we did and that it was able to get up and, and get played in these conditions and it obviously had a massive impact in a number of areas, but I'm, I'm genuinely shocked at the disruption that we've had in a number of areas of our life. Here in Australia, like we barely have any cases, yet it is still significantly hindered things. I could only imagine what it's like in other parts of the world. And for us to be able to get the season was awesome. As fans of the, of the game, to be able to get up on a Sunday morning and watch it was, was wonderful. But then, with all that said, 
we got the same result we do every year. Mm. We got four teams who make up the, what is it, eight teams who've made the playoff now in the last uh, six years or however long it's been There's going. There's no new ones this year. Exactly right. It, it, it was this, the, with all these different ingredients, we got the same cake at the end of the year and, and we were kind of force-fed another Alabama victory. So I'm a little bit disappointed in all of that, a little bit disheartened. I mean, full credit to them. They were the best team and, and they deserve to win it. And, but that's where it kind of comes back to some of the sentiment that you've thrown where the system's a little bit broken, that these guys are that much better and it's kind of swayed so much towards five teams, maybe eight teams that can win it. In, at, in any given year it kind of takes away from a lot of that all and and the deeper we get into the sport the more that we can see that uh whilst you know still i really like the the challenge of winning a big uh a conference so for as an oklahoma state fan winning the big 12 it, it still seems obtainable i don't know if it is like oklahoma are that much better they've won the sixth in a row or whatever it is now yeah iowa state were great across the year and that was cute but it never really worked out for them brutal so I get like disheartened is probably if, if there's a disheartened emoji, that's what I'm whacking down on the table for my review of it. Yeah. And we want to be positive about it. And I want to be positive about college football because I really enjoy the sport and I enjoy the traditions. And I think we lost some of that. You know, there were, I think we've got some really interesting insight in the NFL because you can hear quarterbacks at the line of scrimmage commanding troops and some of that stuff is really really entertaining at an nfl level where they were just working on a completely different situation so i don't know that losing the crowd so much you know maybe in in the nfl probably didn't have doesn't have the impact quite like it does in college football so i think losing crowds was a big area that i would i, I want to see back i like when quarterbacks can't hear properly um, getting mixed signals and, and schools can take over with their fan base, you know, going into Penn State or playing at Oregon or, you know, wh- wherever you're playing that's super, super vocal, super loud and really difficult. And, and with that, of course, comes the traditions that we kind of really enjoy more than almost anything else in the game is some of those real historical aspects that we're particularly fond of. So, they're the things that I would lo- I would look forward to to re- or you know rejoining the college football landscape. I think it was it was nice to get a season, but again, like you, it feels like everybody else is is playing for second or third or fourth within their conference, and that's the best you can ever hope for. And and readjusting as a fan, your expectations has become really really important for me and. And that has become, you know, frustrating. And I, I know college football doesn't have parity around it, but the current situation is not enjoyable for lots of people, lots of schools. So I would like to see it even out. I don't know how or what that looks like, but yeah, I, I tend to agree. Some of the games were enjoyable, although there weren't any of the crazy upsets that we've seen in the past and i don't know that we're going to get as many of those particularly of the top teams just because of how much better they are but uh you know and again lastly credit to alabama they're probably the best team that i i would argue that they could go up against lsu from last year they weren't the media darlings but they were absolutely awesome so um i tend to sit in the same camp as you it was great to get a season we love college football 
but there's something at the moment that just isn't sitting that great in the pit of our stomachs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, now, apparently, you've got a whole bunch of stupid questions that I've got to answer. So, I don't know why you've gone in this direction. I think it's just a little bit of a thing you like to do. You like to put me on the spot. So, hit me. I do. I do. So, thank you for entertaining me. I like to kind of put you on the spot, make you squirm a little bit uh, with a, a test that's kind of just unexpected. I, I don't give you any any lead into this. I just kind of hit you in the pre-show saying, hey, I'm going to hit you up with a quiz. And this one here is specifically in, in line with the season. Uh, I've got some questions oh, around season 2020. I don't 2020. remember games and things very well. You know this. I, I, I know, I know. And it's, it's I, a bit like, harsh on me, but I think it, it, it will help us to kind of guide some of the things that we went through. So uh, a lot of this is statistic-based and around some oh, of the players. Jesus. And, oh, and if you can... If you can jag guys in the top 10, that's all I'm looking for. I'm, okay. I'm looking for some recognition in the top 10. So These are multiple th- choice questions, obviously. No, no, no. Absolutely not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm going I'm to throw out uh, questions. As an example, let's go, uh, which, which players, name as many of the top 10 as you can, uh, had the most passing yards on the year? Who were the most prolific passers college football game this year? Mac Jones. Correct. Number one. Tre- Trevor Lawrence. Lawrence. Lawrence was in at eight. Um, see, like this is really average. Who else should I be going to? Justin Fields, probably not. He didn't play enough games. Correct. Book was down. Spencer Rattler. Spencer Rattler comes in at 10. Oh, just snuck that one in there. Brock Purdy, probably one. Zach Wilson, definitely. Yep, number three. Oh, bloody Kyle Trask. That's number a two. pretty obvious Well one. done. Um, Sam Howe probably at North Carolina well done number four uh, one more to round now, out the top five and I'll give you the and, points here and now I'm really going to struggle Ellinger I doubt it but maybe Ellinger he had some crazy comebacks mm, unfortunately not I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold it off there so we don't bounce around with us too much but we yeah. did have Shane Bouchelle former Texas uh, mm, slinger yeah. at SMU so he, yeah. he came at nine and, and at five I thought you might get there. Dylan Gabriel Oh, yeah. You pumped him up across the year. So UCF, yeah. That was a nice, easy one. Let's let's go on the oh, other Jesus. side of that. The, the, the other side of that. Don't who, defense. Th- who throw the most picks? Christ. Who turned the ball over a lot? Duke did. Chase Bryce, Number maybe? one. Chase Bryce. Well done. Yes. 15 picks on the year. That's not good. Um, are you asking me to keep going here? Because I'm going to battle Look, if you can that. hit me one more, and I think you should be able to get it. Uh, man that is close to your heart. Not Derek King. Not Derek King, no. Oh, he... no, my boy at Auburn. <laughs> no. Sure, boy, Bo Nix, he wouldn't have completed enough pastas. No, Bo, Bo Nix isn't in there. No, this is someone that you actually do, right? Oh, Jesus. But oh, he does Jesus. like to play fast and loose with the ball. Um, Brett Farr Similar <laughs> Similar uh, we're, we're, we're talking Matty Corral here Oh yeah of course Yeah, yeah. He, he was number two Had the 14 picks there So that's alright What about running the ball You know who racked up the most Yards on the ground Your boy at Buffalo Patterson Surely Ooh he was a touchdown machine But in terms did, of Did he put up yards Rushing no. yards No it wasn't in the top 10 Wasn't in the top 10 It wasn't in the top 10 Najee Harris. Well done. He was number three. Kyron Williams. Uh, yes. 
nine. Michael Carter and Javante Williams have well to be Well done. Four and six. Um, and that'll... Brees Hall. And there we go. Number one. That's what I'm looking for. So, hey. Brees Hall. Uh, the number two that you didn't get in there at uh, UTSA, uh, Sincere McCormick. Had a yeah. number of really big games in there. Uh, yeah. And then Khalil Herbert at Virginia Tech. who's a bit under the radar this year, but he's obviously had... Yeah, he did have some big games, didn't he? Some big numbers mm. there. So, that was a bit of a surprise for me. Uh, if we look in rushing touchdowns then. Yeah, my boy at Buffalo, surely. Yeah. He's number three, tied in with Javonta Williams there. Who's one and two? You kind of touched on him there. Najee. Well done. And the other one would be Michael Carter, I assume. I don't know. Brees Hall. Brees Hall. Oh, Brees Hall. That makes heaps more sense. Yep. All right. Receiving yards. Dude's catching the ball. Devonte. No? Yeah. Yeah. Devonta Smith and then fucking heaps, heaps of wide space. Like, keep scrolling down the page to find the next one. He was nuts. 18.56. Um, Chris Alave? I don't know. He probably didn't play enough, enough games, games either. Not enough games. No, you've got to, got to stay out of the Big Ten. Who put up yards? Uh, BYU? Who was Zach Wilson throwing to a lot? Dax Milne is the one. Ah, uh, yes. To. He was in at four, so that's a good one there. There was Jalen Darden at North Texas that I don't expect you to have, but he was no. quite prolific in that. High-profile offense. And then the other one, uh, best known for his dog piss celebration. Elijah Moore. Elijah Moore, number two. There you go. 1193. So I was surprised to see that number two because uh, up there with the all-time celebrations for how costly (laughs) it is. (laughs) Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um, Now, I'm going to hit you with the the hard stuff. You know I'm going there. Oh, God. I'm never going to get these. Uh, I want to know who had the most punts on the year. Who had the most punts? Yeah, who had the most punts? Was he Australian? Uh, he was not, but number two was. Uh, don't know. I won't know, so I'm not going to waste Nolan time. Cooney at Syracuse. 74 punts. It's a lot of punting. A lot of punts. Number two. Syracuse are pretty bad. Tom Hutton, Oklahoma State. What are we doing? Oh, God. What is going on there? So that hurts. <laughs> but then also, like busy boys in the, the Aussies, Jordy Sandy at t- uh, TCU, Aussie, yeah. 57 punts. Also, Lucas Dean, UTSA, 57 punts. Seamus O'Kelly, Texas State, 57 punts. John Haggerty, Western Kentucky, 56 punts. All these boys, Aussies. <laughs> Kurt Christodoulou, there too. All these boys getting a lot of work. Like, yeah. I'd be lucky to get that in an AFL season. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> um, and then if, if we got to give a bit of love to the defense. So, like, sacks. Give me something. Uh, Who you got? Um, Chase Young. Yeah, let's dial it back 12 months. Pretend uh, like this year never happened. Um, there was, To be fair, there wasn't a standout pass rusher, edge defender. Which I think makes a really good point towards this year's uh, draft because there often is, like, a, a top... A number of top 10 guys at that premier mm. position. And you're right, there's no one that really stands out this year for who, who dominated off the edge. So you had your boy Jalen Phillips, who did work at Miami. Yeah, yeah. He's in there uh, with eight sacks on the year. But can you get any of the top seven? Probably not, no, to be honest. Nah, okay. I mean, so like... Will McDonald at Iowa State. To be honest, I don't know who the fuck he is. But, yeah, uh, I know the Yeah, name. 10 and a half. Yeah. Which is which is just nuts. Uh, picks. 
Uh, nah, because that's picks are luck half the time. So no, there's always a piece of that too. If you're good enough DB, they're not throwing the ball to you. Yeah, like though yeah. it's it's a really dodgy stat to determine who's a good uh, corner because the the true good ones like Darrell Revis when he was in his prime just would get targeted like twenty times a year. Like, that, they just wouldn't throw <laughs> yeah. the ball to him. They're just like, fuck it, I'm not going to do that. It's stupid. It's just an incomplete pass. It's a waste of a play. Exactly. Yeah. So, it, it's a bit of a tough one. Brandon Joseph at Northwestern. They had, they had a real... Oh, yeah. He had a really good, what about the dude at South Carolina? Um, uh, I think uh, Talanoa Hufung. Who, I know that's Hufung, Southern California. Yeah. It's a real Southern California name. Yeah, <laughs> real bully. All right, let's move through this because we're just battling we are burning names. Here. Oh, like I'm, I'm, yeah, I just want to kind of recognise a few of the boys across the year. Tackles then, total tackles. You do, oh, probably like Paddy Fisher. Yeah, that's a good guess, but he's not in there. Really? Yeah. God damn, uh, that did, dude was a tackle Yeah, I don't know. We we haven't. Isaiah McDuffie at Boston College. Yeah, player. he's always, up there. always someone from Boston College always. just clunking heads. Peyton, Peyton Wilson, North Carolina State. Grant Morgan at Arkansas. Zacoby McLean at Auburn, and number one Carlton Marshall at uh, Troy. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. Some guys making tackles. Well, we're not going to hit on the award winners, but we've hit on every statistical aspect <laughs> of this particular game right let's get into the ap poll so this was released um a little bit ago now actually uh releasing the final top 25 for year 2020 so not surprisingly alabama one ohio state two clemson three texas a&m at four and notre dame actually drop out after getting trounced by alabama in the semi-final and they finish fifth thoughts on the top five william yeah i don't hate that move i mean a&m had the one loss on the year to alabama notre dame obviously lost that one to alabama too they're they're probably similar sorts of losses with with what you saw there but you know there is always a bit of recency bias there notre dame didn't look great in the acc championship game against clemson either so to go back to back losses i feel like it's kind of deserved for them to slide down and a&m to move up there so i got no issue with that 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 makes sense to me and i'm 100 percent comfortable with that now interestingly enough those five teams and we'll talk about this more in future eps but those five teams lose a lot of players particularly at key positions the next three teams don't and they look like they're set for a big season 2021 oklahoma at six georgia at seven cincinnati at eight I mean, Oklahoma have finished so, so well. Georgia kind of lost a couple early and, and never really were in the national picture. And Cincinnati were there and thereabouts. But, you know, I think that's probably fair on merit about where those teams were at to finish the season. Yeah, definitely. And it kind of sets up an interesting one. So, obviously, Oklahoma and Georgia are part of those powerhouses that you know, could potentially win it that we talk about. For me, it's Cincinnati that's the interesting one. As I mentioned, there's a number coming back there. If they can continue to be knocking in and around it, that that's what you need. You need that continual pressure of being like an undefeated team up around the top to really get a look in. So if they can retain most of their core and continue to build on that, Des Ritter comes back and, and has another fantastic year, they're 100% a shot. Can the Big 12 get them in 
What's the turnaround time on like annexing a, a program into your conference? Do you think it can be done in the next three months? But then they take two losses to Oklahoma, so that's not helpful. They'll be challenging. They'll be challenging. Oh, that, yeah, okay. Just like Iowa State. That's cute. Speaking of Iowa State, they were nine. Uh, other teams that are worth mentioning, BYU at 11, which is a fantastic finish for them. Fuck, Indiana. That's some, that's some real disrespect to Northwestern there. Yeah, I've just burnt Northwestern at 10. <laughs> and other teams yeah. that are worth mentioning. I'm going to skip over 10. Well, I'm going to go yeah. 11. I'm going to go yeah. 12. Well, yeah, but these are more interesting <laughs> stories to me. Like Indiana, who te- uh, in early preseason polls for next year are being talked about as being a top 10 preseason, which I think is a crock of shit. But anyway, Florida at 8 and 4, finished at 13. I love seeing this. Coastal Carolina at 14, Louisiana at 15. Liberty pokes their head in at 17. Um, I've just torched Iowa there at 16. North Carolina as well. They're going to get some preseason noise next year. And then it's a bit of a mess down the bottom. Ball State get in, San Jose finish in, and Buffalo finish in. So some teams that you would never normally predict to be ranked have finished ranked, which is awesome for those teams. Yeah, and Miami, a couple of spots lower than Oklahoma State. There you go. Cool. Thank you for that. That's useful. Way to just... I gotta take my little, shots. Pick at that there, little scab gotta, there, gotta, mate, and now we're bleeding again. That's good. You, you're like shots. comfortably ahead based on voting as well. So it's... Yeah. You cruising. We did play. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We didn't care. We played our final the week uh, before. You're moving the SEC, are you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so any great shocks there? Any thoughts? Um, are you happy with how it all kind of played out? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's great to see some of those group of five teams, as you mentioned, Coastal Carolina, Louisiana, Liberty, in and amongst the teens there, uh, b- backing up from BYU and Cincinnati too. So really talks to that group of five prowess and, and the solid years that a lot of those programs had that we're certainly going to be getting around next year. I'm already excited for that. I'm starting yeah. to do a bit of research. <laughs> That'll be rare. Okay, let us move on then. Uh, that probably leads us into our championship draft. So for those people that haven't particularly followed along, uh, myself and Will was sort of gave ourselves uh, a little bit of cash to spend, kind of like your, um, what is, what's it bloody called? I can't even think of it. Uh, what stupid game do you play with AFL? Supercoach. Hey, I got there. there go. Kind of like your Supercoach sort of set up. So you can purchase teams based on their particular ranking and the person with the teams worth the most amount of money, but also with money in the bank, claim the title overall. I think that you've got this covered because Alabama won and you got a little kickback bonus for having the number one team in the country. But how did it all shake out, Will? Okay, mate. I've crunched the numbers and they've come in and it's it's a fascinating uh, little split that we've got across our teams here. So at the end of the day, uh, I had a couple of teams right on the cusp, which was interesting because you were playing that game for most of the year. Uh, and yeah. I ended up with a couple just on the outside. So App State, I bought for three bucks, uh, ended up with nothing there. Uh, but they were on the cusp, so they were around the place. Uh, OU, I bought for $8 uh, and they ended up worth 20 so by far the the best stock for me is a team that i despise uh, but it, it's good that they were able to produce something for me 
Uh, I had USC. They ended up making five bucks for me, which was nice. Minnesota was a fucking poor decision. Memphis, no good either. I bought Alabama. Not bad. Bought them for 24 bucks. Didn't make me any money, but they ended up winning it all, so that's that's helpful. My worst call on the year was uh, Wisconsin. Bought them at $16. Right. <laughs> right at the height of their powers and then that fucking all came tumbling down for me so they ended up unranked and that's a big whack losing 16 bucks there bought texas for six bucks ended up seven bucks so not much going there Bought oregon for five and then they went on and lost some games so they ended up unranked uh missouri I, i bought in but weren't able to get anything going and then tulsa the last week i i made a a gamble and then they decided to go fucking karate kid uh, and lost the fight and the game and uh, lost me four points in in the progress so oof, I was busy I was a lot busier than where you were across the year I spent $103 on uh, teams uh, I sold a lot more so I sold $77 worth um, uh-huh. so so turning a $26 uh, profit there on, on teams that I had sold, but then my total squad value uh, ended up at $57 plus the, the bank that I had, so $61. $61 was, was where I ended up. If we look at you, much more uh, sedate and calculated <laughs> strategy. So you can see you, you, you bought big on Clemson and Ohio State, $25 and $20 a piece. Mm-hmm. Then the only other teams that you spent money on, Oklahoma State, you bought for five bucks, they ended up at six, so they made you a dollar. Uh, and you bought Liberty last, last round for three bucks. Genius move. Great, great <laughs> move. Like, it literally was the best move that you could could make uh, going in. Uh, they they jumped up six spots on the back of their victory. Uh, so they ended up making you six dollars uh, with, a, with a total value of nine in the end. So that was a great They tried to part. lose that game though. They tried they to did. lose that They fumble. did. But like, if you look at that, I lost... So last week I brought in Tulsa, lost $4. You brought in Liberty, uh, made $6. That's a massive swing. It's a massive mm. swing. You had a few other ones go against you, but if we if we look through, Clemson obviously dropped uh, a couple of bucks from when you bought them at 25, but Ohio State jumped back up, so they, they made you four bucks on the year. UCF, Marshall, Utah, Penn State, Washington, and Boise State were all teams that you bought for nothing, didn't lose you anything, but never made it in. Mm-hmm. Uh, you did grab Buffalo and San Jose State late, and they both made you a few dollars. So all in all, you only spent the fifty-four dollars. So I spent one hundred and three. You spent fifty-four. It's like us going out wow. for drinks. Oh. Uh, <laughs> your your yeah, sale, well. your value is, and I wish it was only one hundred and three dollars. I spent <laughs> when we're going out for drinks. Um, you, your sale was thirty-four dollars. So your total plus minus on what you purchased and sold was twenty dollars. But in total, your your value was sixty-five dollars. Right. So you're sixty-five dollars. Yeah. Uh, what was I? Fifty-seven plus four. So you were sixty-five plus ten because you made the ten bucks when you sold North Carolina for Liberty as well, mm-hmm. which is a genius move because North Carolina lost. So another great call on your part. So that took you to a total of seventy-five dollars. So you had a total of seventy-five dollars. I had a total of sixty-one dollars. Yeah. Now the controversy starts the controversy starts because <laughs> when we came this together we said well there's got to be something for the the team that wins it there's got to be an incentive mm-hmm. for you to grab the team that wins it i don't have the clip to play back to our audio uh our, our fans here but i can confirm that the dollar amount that we decided 
that would be awarded gonna... little drum roll to the team that had the winner was $20 oh. taking me to $81 and winning this year's championship draft in that is type, a, that's that heavy is a handed. piece take that it is, is heavy handed take. I, I feel like that's unbalanced it is I, I feel like I $10 like is the right amount but it is what it like we've learnt from this I'll take my trophy home. I'm gonna is put that the, a, Is that the first time you've won championship draft as well? It is. If if it wasn't the case, then I might be more willing to give this one up. But I need it. <laughs> the trophy cabinet is is quite bare these days. I don't bring home so many from the presentation nights that I go to anymore. So mm. I really need to just add a something brag in there. there. That's good. Well, it, it, no, it's just a, I'm getting fucking old. That's what that. <laughs> Uh, but look, that was good fun. I, I enjoyed the concept this year. I think $10 yeah. is the right amount. I'd, I'd like to do this again. Uh, I think there's probably a better way for us to kind of communicate this to the guys who want to follow. Like, for oh, sure. pl- please, if you are listening, let us know if you give a shit about this or if you want us to scrap it. I know we have fun with it, so we're probably going to keep doing it anyways, but we might cut it down if you don't like us talking about this stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's an interesting tactic that you've, that you've pulled off and, and really... You know, should have smashed me if it didn't come down to it. Like, if Ohio State had won that, you would have dominated me in this one. So, yeah, you're doing something right. I did doing something right. Maybe you can manage my stock portfolio as well. I don't know if that's a good idea, dude. (laughs) Can't be any worse than me. Exactly. All right, let us move on now. We want to touch on just. I I guess we we kind of just like two guys catching up, having a few beers, and talking about what we thought about college football. Some favorite players, favorite moments, favorite games. Um, so let's start there. What games for 2020 should we be going back and, and maybe chucking on YouTube or whatever and, and having a look at that were the memorable ones that perhaps a couple of months later we have forgotten? Yeah, now, whether that's for big storylines or, or the gameplay itself, um, which games should I go and chuck on the DVR? Which There's a number that really stand out for me. So like off the bat, my game of the year, I'm, I'm not going to kind of build up to this because I don't know. I'm not that way built or inclined. Uh, for me, it was that BYU-Coastal Carolina matchup that we got. So that was back the 5th of December, uh, and it was one that was kind of plucked out of nowhere. So these these were two teams who were looking for a bit of credibility on the national scale and both found themselves without a matchup. So on a few days' notice, uh, like BYU tend to get all the praise for this, I think because they travelled, but... They, uh, BYU jumped on a, a plane, head, headed out to, where is it, like Myrtle Beach or some shit? Yeah. And took on Coastal Carolina and put on an absolute thrilling spectacle that came down to the last play of the game that was shot, stopped at the one and a half yard line. Uh, it was it was fantastic to watch. Like it was just so 2020. It was so unexpected. It's two teams that don't really have much relevance in the college football world playing in a game that didn't have any reason to be on or not any reason, but any kind of, it, it shouldn't have been there. And, and the fact that it was, was awesome. These were two undefeated teams trying to get a bit of respect and then they put it on and, and had a good one. So, I love this matchup. I had great fun with it. Uh, and if, if you didn't get a chance, it's probably one to jump into in the off-season to really kind of get you back into that college football feeling. What about you, Matt? I think for me, and it has to be the Big Ten, Indiana and Penn State. This was way back in like week two or three. Penn State had just... Sorry, they lost this one and then went and lost again the following week. But they were ranked eight in the country at the time. 
Uh, Indiana were kind of the plucky underdog as they've been so many times before and they get it to overtime. Michael Penix Jr. Um, you know, turns the corner, gets to the left pylon and just gets there before the defender um, on the two-point conversion in OT and they take the win against what we thought was going to be an okay Penn State team and I thought that was just the big upset that we were after uh particularly in the in the power five we wanted to see guys fall as you always do you want to see the underdogs hang around which we normally do get in the start of the season whilst i probably bitched and moaned a little bit about this season the start of this season had some uh fantastic games some big upsets now this didn't age particularly well as penn state struggled mightily from this point on but at the time it was a really, really entertaining, high-scoring, come-from-behind victory uh, that you that that have are just a part of the fabric of college football, and and that's what what we like to see. Yeah, look, I I still don't think he got in there, Michael Penix. I, oh. I'm I'm team he didn't make it, and who knows? You know, if that gets called the right way, then maybe Penn State go on, <laughs> and they would have been battling Alabama for that. No, I mean, in all seriousness, that was a cracking matchup. It, it is good to see the the little guy get one up, uh, and then they turned out to to put in a really impressive year. So, I love that one. Another one for me was a Red River rivalry game this year. Yeah, that was crazy, actually, wasn't it? Four overtimes, and it was the one that we couldn't have been playing down more in the lead up to. I remember both of us because Oklahoma had just come off of two losses. Texas had yeah. just lost to TCU. It was kind of like, this is always a game that you're so excited about coming into and no one gives a shit. It doesn't mean yeah. anything. Obviously, you still watched it because it's awesome. Four fucking overtimes. And I was so in on Texas as well. Yeah, oh, me that. too. Spencer Rattler really kind of grew up, better. I think, yeah. in that game. Like he, yeah. he struggled early on but then kind of came into his own. And I think that was a real defining moment for him in his college career. Uh, they, they were able to get up and over the top and, and really that was what got them into the Big 12 championship game and set up the rest of their year. It could have easily gone the other way, but that was an absolute barn burner. The, the last game that I'll mention, Notre Dame and Clemson 1.0, uh, where Trevor Lawrence didn't play in the game, testing positive for COVID, and DJ Uyunglele played in that one, threw for over 400 yards, but this one went to OT, and Notre Dame got across the line. Highly entertaining, um, but then I think probably capped off by Notre Dame storming the field and <laughs> the COVID outbreak that ensued after that. And it was just a, a, a kind of a crazy game in a crazy year. And everything that we were taught not to do, a bunch of 20-year-olds were just like, screw this. We're getting close. We're getting hot and heavy and steamy in South Bend. And that's what they did um, after a really entertaining game. Yeah, I mean, college kids are going to college kid. Uh, yeah. Same thing after Bama had won in Tuscaloosa. Like, COVID <laughs> oh, yeah, is that ravaging that state. And I'd like... What's the opposite of social distancing? Because that was what was going on there. Is it sex? Is that yeah. the opposite? Because <laughs> yes. that was just openly happening on the streets, and I loved it. I loved yeah. every second well, of it. Of course so. you would, you creep. Um, favorite player? Uh, who sort of stuck out for you? Players that you know maybe tickled your funny bone, who you enjoyed watching the most throughout the course of the year? Yeah, this is a, a tough one to give because... 
there's like so many generic answers you can give, right? Like Devonta Smith is the obvious one that both you and I really love. Every college football fan who actually follows the game, it's hard not to love what he did this year. He was so amazing on the field. It, it, like it, it was an incredible story of what they were able to do, along with Mac Jones, who's another one who's like he's not the Alabama guy. The Alabama guy is normally the five star who's that much athletically better than everyone that they're playing against and has been given everything in his life to kind of succeed i feel like mac jones has had to fight for it all like he was the three-star guy that was third on the depth chart and has had to work it out so like those two and Najee harris that that three-headed backfield made alabama tough to hate i know they're a team that you like to hate because they're so good and it's easy to hate them for that but because of those guys and the way that they played their football this year, I think they were fantastic if I grouped them all up. Uh, Zach Wilson, I know, is one both you and I were big on this year. He was he was good because he kind of came out of nowhere. I know you were big on him last year. Uh, mm. I'll give you props for that. But for mine, he really, like, and, and for, for most, I guess, he's turned himself into a top 10 draft pick on the performance that he had. And watch him throw the ball. You can see why. He had it on a rope and he was just nailing him in there so he was super impressive another one that i want to mention who like this is it's strange to say but trevor lawrence does not get the respect that he deserves it's almost kind of like lebron when he won the championship with the lakers uh last year was kind of talking about you know it was great to be able to come back to this historic franchise and get the respect for my teammates my coaches this program and and for fucking me like the respect yeah. that I damn reserve. And I feel like Trevor Lawrence is that too. Like he's so good and talked about at such a high level. People get a bit saturated with him and then he, he yeah. doesn't kind of get thought of as being like as being the top player or as being the best. Where he very much is. Like he he's amazing to watch when he when he's on song. So uh, he's one that I look forward to watching on Sundays. And like it, it's good to have those players that you carry over on the Sunday that you actually care about that. I know both you and I have kind of turned probably more off of the NFL. You're probably dabbling a bit more back in it now that Tampa are up and about. I, I heard yeah. you talking about it earlier in the episode. I'm like, fuck, I haven't had this much life from you in the NFL in quite some time. You're a bit up and yeah. about. You won our fantasy league. The The Bucks have made the championship game. You are up and about on that. But yeah. for me, it's, it's following some of these kids at the college level. And Jacksonville, Urban Meyer, Trevor Lawrence... Oof, get me a Look get me out. a jersey now. Yeah, right. I think for me, Matt Corral. Like I like getting on guys. Well, that sounds a bit, <laughs> you know, homoerotic. I like getting around guys a little bit early. Still homoerotic, but Zach Wilson. You know, but for me this year, Matt Corral. He has to be the guy. I thoroughly enjoyed his game against Bama. Um, from what I expected out of him as a player based on his recruitment and to where he got to now, I was so impressed with how he went about it. He's exciting, he's dynamic, he can run, he can pass uh, and he's going to have them scoring a lot of points next year and, and Old Miss are going to be a fun team to watch. So keep an eye on him and the Rebels. Are they still called that? I don't know. Um, but yeah. I think it's just a flag that's changed. Just the flag that's changed. All right, biggest surprise. What sort of surprised you this year? What what got away from you? What didn't you see coming? Okay, so if I, I'll give some honourable mentions for this, the biggest surprise here. I've got uh, BYU as a football program. I did mm-hmm. not think that they would be very good. Halfway through the year, I was lobbying for them to be in the playoff. 
so that's a bit of a turnaround on my part. Uh, Northwestern, as, as a football program this year, really impressed me. I thought they were quite surprising with how good that they they played across the year. Uh, and I was, you could almost put Indiana in that bucket too. Like those two programs in the Big Ten really stood up where Michigan and Penn State faltered. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Big Twelve bowl play, I'm gonna throw that in there. Quite surprising at how fantastic that was. Yeah. Uh, I would. Um, I'm not going to say the ACC bowl play because that was kind of to be expected that they'd have yeah. this great year and then it all fall in holes. I'm not going to mention that. But ultimately, the biggest surprise has got to be how fucking good the Sun Belt was. <laughs> oh God! Like I'm pumping up the Big Twelve here, but we we need to cast our minds back to the first week where the Sun Belt destroyed the Big Twelve. Yep. Made it its bitch, and then kept going the rest of the year. Louisiana, legit football program. Coastal Carolina, awesome. Had a really good bowl record. Like these programs, uh, I think. What did they go? The Sun Belt four and one in bowl games. Not bad. Yeah, not bad. So That's good going. Not as good we, as the Big Twelve. They were. Who we went five and one? Didn't they? Well, you said no. Sorry, five, they went five, five and zero. Five and zero. Oh. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Well, yeah, fair enough. Um, Sunbelt were impressive and especially early. Um, and lucky that the that Oklahoma State avoided a Sunbelt competition, I would have thought. I mean, they had enough trouble with Tulsa. So, who turned out to be a decent team too. Let's not disrespect the, uh, the, hur- the hurricane. What are they? The Golden the, Hurricane? The hurricane. Golden Hurricane? Golden Hurricane. Um, biggest surprise for me had to be the LSU-Mississippi State game out the gate uh, with Mississippi State just throwing all over LSU and the fact that, you know, Louisiana State were really average the whole year, actually. They just... Ed Orgeron's gone from, you know, catching lightning in a bottle completely to being on the hot seat. And that game was just a shock with um, see uh, Costello coming across and just throwing bomb after bomb after bomb. And then only a few weeks later when they couldn't score, Mike Leach going in on his players. So that whole situation around Mississippi State and the Bulldogs is going to be fascinating to watch. Um, So that was of particular interest and particular surprise to me. Yeah, I I think off the bat, you're right. That game was nuts. We all expected LSU to win that one. So for Mississippi State to come out and be as hot as they were, for us to be talking, you know, the air raids broke in the SEC and, you know, no one's going to be able to touch this Mississippi State Bulldogs team, kind of, you know, a little bit sarcastically. But then for the demise of that program and how far they fell from that high to where they were the rest of the year, they started to almost figure it out the back, back end of the year and they were putting in a bit more respectable uh, efforts. But there was a period in there where they were one of the worst teams in college football. Yeah. They were woeful. They could not move the ball, and it was disgusting. So you're right. That certainly opened up a very interesting uh, storyline to be followed because he did go in on his players, and he did uh, almost lose the locker room to an yeah. extent. Uh, sure. But as, as the head man, you've got to set your expectations, and you, you, if you're starting a new culture and and inheriting a program then sometimes you're going to need to break a few of those eggs and and not everyone's going to like that and you need to stick true to what you believe in so i'm all all for mike leach doing what he's done there all right last things before we wrap up what have we learned this year i know i'm throwing this question to you a bit of a curveball late in the piece but what have we actually learned for me the thing is 
college football is adaptable. We hear all the time that it's slow moving and, you know, almost glacially slow, particularly with board of directors and athletic departments that are entrenched in so much dated um, aspects and, and well, potential legalities or legislations around what they can and can't do. And I think the thing that I've learned this year is that college football can be dynamic and it can shift and it can move. And maybe that coronavirus, whilst we didn't want it, and I certainly don't wish it upon anybody, has done some things to the broader society to speed things up or push things along as is the want of you know traumatic and catastrophic circumstances. And I think the same thing has happened to college football. We've seen... That, that schools can pull together games in 24 hours. They can look to match up better teams in situations. So maybe moving forward, we look to flex some games in the outer conference slate. So rather than having, um, you know, whoever it is, Alabama schedule, who they predict to be a good team. So let's see, let, they predict Texas is going to be good in 2029. How the hell you can predict that, only God knows. Um, but rather than doing that, why not flex that game to a situation where it's like, well, Power 5 or Group of 5 or whoever, you know, are not scheduled this week and you will get thrown a game, um, you know, in the lead up to the season or after week one or something like that. So the teams can still prepare. But, you know, I, I have learned that they're more flexible. So let's let's use that moving forward. Yeah, okay. I think they're not that far. <laughs> no, they're, no, they're not. Yet, I agree. But, but I guess I've learned that there's more flexibility than what we're led to believe. Yeah, okay. I, I like that. I mean, for mine, the big one on the year, and, and I don't know if I learned this or if it was probably just more reinforced to me, is that you follow the money with this sport. Mm. And, and, and it's all driven by that. So when we were talking about perhaps not having a season and the potential for not having a season, there's too much money on the line mm. for that to not be the case. So, so it was always going to happen. There was always going to be a way that they made it safe for these kids to do. And I think, by and large, they did a pretty good job of that across the year. Mm. But a lot of that is driven by the money. And it's you know it's, it's, if it wasn't economical to do that, it wouldn't have been the case. But the fact that it is, is why that happened. And you can kind of start to project some of the other changes that we're going to see in college football driven by this money. So we've got the the stuff that's kind of going through uh, legislation at the moment around player likenesses and the money that's going to be evolved there. It's going to happen because the money is, there's going to be money-making opportunities there. So that's definitely going to be massaged through. People are going to benefit from that. The shift from a four-team uh, playoff to an eight is going to happen because there'll be more money for the eight-team programs there. Whether you like it or not, when it when the current deal ends, it will boot move to eight because there's more money involved in selling off the rights to an enhanced playoff games. When does that that deal end? When is I think that? Twenty twenty-five. Okay, so we're still a ways away. Yeah. It's a ways away, but I think they'll start to be posturing towards it earlier than that in preparation mm -hmm. for it. But I've, I've, I fully expect it to happen just purely based on the money. It is very much all of these things I learn across the year that if there's going to be more money in it for people, whoever these people are, they're going to make it happen. 
and we've seen that there's been enough evidence of that so whilst we enjoy the sport for what it is we enjoy the pageantry the tradition the athletes the storylines all of that it is very much a money-making machine and that is what dictates the future of this wonderful sport for the love of money is the root of all evil so um yeah i think just following on from that sentiment and i agree 100 percent. and that that is at the bottom line that is at the very core of my growing skepticism and jaded feelings towards some of this situation because um if you don't have the coin you're irrelevant and then you look at you know what is important and it's as the, it's that we have kids playing that's what we want we want to have kids playing the sport we want to have people have something to root for um, and we want them to believe and have hope particularly in times where like this year that has been few and far between um, but that does bring us to the end of season 2020 we will continue to do our shows Um, every now and again we'll be discussing more about what we project to happen for next year Um, but season 2020 is in the books done dusted well done alabama now if you would be so kind please do subscribe to the show on your podcatcher choice please join us on twitter facebook instagram at cfb down under make sure you leave us a review come and say hi and uh, we will continue to bring you bits and pieces over a long dark and cold college football off season unless you have got anything else william no, nothing from me except to say thanks for another year, mate. It's uh, it's fun yeah. doing this. We, we we put in more time than our partners would uh, like. I'm sh- I'm, I'm sure. dead set certain of that. Yes. So it, it it is a bit of a grind. So to to make it to the end of another year is, you know. Uh, good on us for putting in the effort and making it and and especially anyone who's still listening at this point too like thank you for for your support and listening we we do hear from uh, a few of you guys and it really means a lot to us so we enjoy it we enjoy the sport uh i think we kind of end this every year but we, we do want to continue to grow this we definitely do will make a concerted effort to get some of the guys who are playing on the show to reach out to them uh, tee up some interviews, do a few things like that and, and look forward to, to having another dip at this and, and continuing to follow the sport. Perfect. Well said, good man. So for that guy over there and myself, thank you so much for joining us. My name's Aaron, that is Will, and we will see you next time. Roll Tide.